So this morning's reading, firstly, Exodus 20. Sorry. Got to get the right um, commandment. Thank you. (laughs) Just briefly. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And then to James chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. Controlling the tongue. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body, It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. It's always very sobering to teach after you've just heard that passage. Not many of you should be teachers. Well, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, good morning, Jeanette. Um, Guys, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, thank you that you call us to walk in freedom with you. And Lord, you equip us through your word. So Father, I pray that you would graciously anoint me by your spirit again today. And anoint each of us to hear and receive your word. And to walk joyfully in freedom with it. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you've had a good week. Um, How did coveting go this last week? I wonder. And were there moments when you sensed the Spirit saying to you, hey, you don't need to covet that. You don't need to covet that. Because the Spirit will do that at times. I wonder, I won't ask for hands to go up. I wonder how many of us were able to take stock at the end of each day and thank the Lord for four things. I know that for Fee and I, that was a kind of lovely kind of little discipline. And it just reminds us how much 
the Lord blesses us. But we have to cultivate it. We have to bring it to mind. Because if we don't, uh, probably you're like me, you'll be focusing on the things you've got to fix or the problems you're facing. So let's keep doing that. Now on these dark January mornings, when the alarm goes and you kind of think, I've got to get out from the duvet. I expect unwittingly, at times, you pandiculate. Now, you might not be aware that you pandiculate. Now, do you know what, Susie Dent, you're right. To pandiculate is to stretch and to yawn at the same time. And it's a medical term. I think words are fascinating, aren't they? Words can be really fascinating. Words, you know, can inform us. Words, words can be really creative. Words can inspire. You know, um, just recently, it's been Martin Luther King Day, and we can all remember, I have a dream. You know, words can inspire. Words are a gift from God. But we know also words can wound And words can journey in our lives a bit like in a graffiti. And um, I was very struck by kind of what Andy brought us back to in the worship about the Lord wanting to restore us. And sometimes part of the restoration is to allow him to cleanse us, to cleanse some of that inner graffiti, to cleanse some of the wounds that we've received from words. Because words matter. And we're thinking about words today as we focus on um, the, the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. We're thinking about how do we speak honestly? And um, this is a wonderful boundary of blessing that God has given us, to learn to speak honestly. But we know that's not always straightforward. As I said, words matter. But I think we live in a culture in which we are saturated with words. Words, messages come at us from all directions. You know, we get, you know, we're bombarded with emails, with texts, with WhatsApp, you know, Facebook messages, Twitter messages. And it's, it's really hard to sift through those at times. And I think too, we live in a, a culture where we genuinely find it hard to believe that many of the words that we read are true. So, for instance, if we can have the next slide up, please, Josh. How many of these statements would you receive unwittingly? Just thinking about our great friend who just read the Bible passage for us. (laughs) Open wide, this won't hurt. I'll start my diet on Monday. (laughs) Okay. Nobody told me it was against the rules. I've heard that a bit recently, haven't we? This questionnaire will only take three minutes. I'm from the Inland Revue, and I'm here to help you. You know, we find it hard to take those at face value, don't we? And if you're like Fear and I, you'll probably really enjoy the panel game, Would I Lie to You? And um, that, uh, you know, I th- it's, it's great easy watching. But it highlights a conundrum for us. Who do we trust? 
Which words do we trust? And it's interesting that many sociologists suggest that we're living in a post-truth era. And that term, the usage of that term, uh, increased by 2,000% during the, the discussions about Brexit and in recent US president, presidential debates. But even though we're aware of that, we hunger for honesty. We want to know what's true. We want to know what's honest. We want to know what's right. And I think that's healthy. And the generation that was born between 1995 and 2010, they, they're known as Gen Z. And they're nicknamed the True Gen because for them, the search for truth is really, really important. You shall not give false witness against your neighbor. In God's eyes, truth matters. Lies are not just simply wrong, they are wrong, but lies undermine our own integrity and lies hurt those who are close to us. So what I want to do is, is kind of look, as it were, from a meta-narrative, two big themes in the scriptures, and then begin to look at this in a bit more detail. So from the meta-narrative, we see that our God, the living God, is the God of truth. And the Bible teaches us not only is truth at the heart of God's character as it's revealed increasingly through the scriptures, but God is truth. God is light. God is love. God is goodness. God is truth. And we see this supremely in Jesus. A previous bishop of Winchester, uh, John V. Taylor, said this, God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchrist-likeness at all. So when we want to know what God really looks like, we look at Jesus. And Jesus was true to his teaching. So Jesus didn't only just teach, turn the other cheek, he lived it out, didn't he? Jesus didn't just say, love your enemies. He lived that out. And Jesus declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We see that God is truth. The living God is truth. In contrast to that, how does Jesus refer to the devil? Jesus called the devil Diabolos, the father of lies. In John 8, he said, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so, cosmically, there's this contest. I mean, God always wins because God is greater. But truth is contested. Truth is contested. And within us, within all humanity, there can be a propensity to lie. And that doesn't mean that everything we say is deliberately said to mislead. 
but we can become very sophisticated in modifying the truth. And there's a kind of bias within us. We can have the next slide up, please, Josh. When I was, um, I remember Christmas Day when I was 10, and my mum bought us, bought us as a family a gift of carpet bowls. And I kind of remember that because we stayed up late, and we stayed up to about half past 11, and at the age of 10, that seemed like a real treat. And we played carpet bowls in our living room. And it took, a, it took me a little while to discover there was a bias in the bowls. I know we've got some really skillful bowlers here, or whatever you're called. Um, but in a similar way, within humanity and within each of us, there can be a bias. There can be a bias to try and put ourselves always in a favorable light. There can be a bias to modify the truth. As someone has, has quipped, sometimes we're more keen on the unscripted 11th commandment, you shall not be found out, than we are on the 9th commandment. And the root, of course, is from humanity's initial disobedience in the Garden of Eden. So in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve have disobeyed God's clear instruction, and God comes looking for them again, he says, why were you hiding? And Adam replies, the woman you put here with me, she, she is her fault. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And so the Lord says to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, it wasn't my fault. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. And we see the seeds of lying beginning there. When I, I taught in Winchester uh, after we got married for three years before I started ordination training. And um, alongside teaching English, I taught religious studies. And um, on one occasion, I remember teaching this, uh, looking at this story with a group of 13-year-olds. And they performed some drama uh, based on, on that story. And I asked them, just after they performed the drama, what was your theme? And they said, passing the buck. That's what it's about. And we can lie to pass the buck. And, and we can become very sophisticated at it. And we, as we look at the scriptures, we see so many people's lives are impacted by lying. So right at the beginning, we see the serpent lies. Then, of course, we see Adam and Eve lies. Then Jacob lies, Laban lies. We see at the trial before Jesus' crucifixion, we read in Matthew 26, many false witnesses came forward. Jesus was crucified on the basis of lies. In Acts 5, in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about what they gave to the church. There are pretty serious consequences to that. So this is contested ground. God wants us to learn to walk in the ways of the truth. He wants us to protect our neighbor's good name. He wants us to speak honestly. But there's a fight on. And he wants to equip us as we seek to play our part and to grow as those 
who can be trusted to speak honestly. And so as we think about what can we do positively, I want us firstly to think about combating lies and then I want us to think about cherishing truth. So firstly, in terms of combating lies, the passage Jonathan read to us from James 3, you know, it's such vivid teaching, isn't it? About the power of the tongue. You know, the tongue can spark a fire in a forest. The tongue is like a rudder on a huge ocean-going liner. The tongue has a disproportionate impact. Apparently, the tongue is, um, takes up less than 0.045% of our body weight. But think about its influence. Think how powerful it is. And think, for instance, if you are really honest, are you good at training your tongue? Or are you aware at times you can be a bit loose with your tongue? Or a bit loose with your messages? A bit loose with your Facebook posts? It's a challenge to train the tongue, isn't it? And I think because of the fact we live in such an immediate age, our lives are are so dominated by social media as well, we tend to be very reactive. We tend to react without pausing to try and get behind the presenting story. So if we can have the next slide up, please, Josh. Many of you will have read about the Colston verdict and about the controversy around that in Bristol, the statue that was ripped down, and the four defendants who were acquitted at at Bristol Crown Court recently. And probably like me, you thought... What guidance did the judge give the jury? How could the jury reach that verdict? But perhaps there's a backstory. We know that politicians and the press and Twitter sphere jumped on it immediately. And it's been referred to the Attorney General. But is there any backstory? Well, interestingly enough, Fee and I are friends with the guy who was the judge in that trial. And John will know him well. And I've been in touch with him over the last few weeks, just saying, hey, praying for you, because I'm aware, kind of, you know, you, you're facing a lot of scrutiny at the moment. And, and he, said, he said, Andy, um, he said, people will make up their own minds about the verdict. But I wish the press, I wish the politicians would have understood a bit more about the backstory before they started pronouncing He said, for decades, peaceful protests haven't been listened to. They've run into the sand. And we need to understand the backstory so often before we pronounce, before we comment. The temptation I know for me, and perhaps it's for you, is that we can judge quickly. And to combat lies, we need to train the tongue. A second thing that we can do to combat lying is to remind ourselves of the price of lying. That might seem a bit of a harsh thing, but actually it's quite good preventative medicine, isn't it? You know, as we look at those uh, two pictures on the screen, Jonathan Aitken and Jeffrey Archer, what were they in prison for? 
They're in prison for perjury, for lying in court. Now that was, that had serious consequences for both of them. Praise the Lord. Jonathan Aitken came, came through to a living faith in Jesus in the prison. So God used that for good. But there's a price to lying. I love what um, Abraham Whitley said on one occasion. He said, no one has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. And I think it's so true. You can begin to just become economical with the truth. And then you descend into a web of lies. And actually we need to remind ourselves, there's a price to lying. And a third thing that we can do to combat lies is that we can avoid gossip. It was once said, gossip is something you like about someone you don't like. I mean, that might be a little bit harsh. But gossip can be very seductive, can't it? And gossip can spread. And gossip can tarnish someone's character. Gossip can ruin someone's reputation. And I don't know, some of you might have experienced that at school, where you were the recipient of really, really malicious gossip. Many people are impacted by that on social media. And we need to do our best to avoid colluding with gossip. The writer of the book of Proverbs says this, the words of gossip are like choice morsels. In other words, they're very attractive at times. They go down to the inmost parts. And I think there's a further step we can take, not just to avoid it. I think there are times when we can play our part in trying to puncture gossip so it doesn't circulate further. And we can puncture gossip by trying to protect our neighbor's good name. And so in order not to give false witness against our neighbor. We need to combat lies. But we can also be very positive and we can cherish truth. To cherish truth. And that begins for us as Christ followers by soaking ourselves in God's truth. By soaking ourselves in the word. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path and there are issues where if we're honest we see a lot of grey aren't there but God will want to bring truth to bear as we bring ourselves under the word and actually as we do that on a daily basis slowly slowly Our minds are renewed. They are renewed. But we cherish truth as we soak in God's word. And secondly, we cherish truth as we seek to grow as more open and trustworthy people. You know, of course, there are are many times when confidentiality is so important. And it's critical. And we need to honour that. But also there's lots of times when it's so appropriate to speak openly 
and very transparently with one another. Seems to me that actually, and I'm going to get really shot down for this because it's not PC. Seems to me that often, and people are looking at me and say, don't say that. Um, yeah, no, don't. Seems to me that, um, I'm sure it's not just my wife as an example, but women can be more disarmingly honest than men at times. And, and there are times when I think, honey, did you say that really? But actually we need, we need to, be, to become appropriately open and trustworthy. We need to be true to our word. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, think carefully before you respond. And if your tendency is to respond very quickly and say, yes, of course I can do it. Yeah, I can add that to my list, which has grown just, you know, exponentially. Then perhaps the Lord wants to say, in this season, just catch yourself. Just pause a little bit quicker. Just count the cost before you say yes. And there might be others here whose tendency is to say no really quickly. And the Lord might want to say to you, actually, just catch yourself. And it might be something you can say yes to. But both yes and no can be really holy words. Really holy words. And what's important is that people can learn to rely upon us. That actually, if we say we do something, then they know that unless, you know, the circumstances a change or, you know, unless something happens, we will do our best to honour our word. Of course, we need grace with each other, but that we are open and trustworthy people, people who want to walk in the light and in the truth. And that's something God will want to grow in us, to grow more open and trustworthy. And then finally, in order to cherish truth, I encourage us to grow as encouragers. To grow as encourages. And particularly in such a, a cynical culture, it's very countercultural to proactively look to praise and encourage. It was said of the Duke of Wellington on his deathbed, he was asked, My Grace, what would you do if you lived your life again? And he simply said, I would encourage more. I would encourage more. The writer to the book of the Hebrews says, but encourage one another daily, just as in fact you are doing. And do you know what? I love the fact that here at SNL, we have so many encouragers, so many people who deliberately look to encourage. And that is such a blessing. Can I say, keep doing that. Let's make this a greenhouse of encouragement. Not a flattery, that doesn't bless anyone, but of genuine encouragement. And that will lead us to be speaking the truth in love, to be those who seek to speak the truth in love. And so that might mean that at times we have to say things that can feel quite blunt or that we know that someone is going to take, you know, find hard to hear. And so when we're called to do that, Ask the Lord, Lord, by your spirit, would you give me wisdom as to the right timing for that? 
Lord, can you make sure my heart is okay and I'm speaking out of love? Otherwise, we might speak out of anger or bitterness or frustration, exasperation, whatever it is. Let's seek to grow as encouragers and seek to encourage our wider community around us to seek to bless and to speak well in, you know, into our hospital, into our schools, into our GP surgeries, all around, into our local shops. Seek to encourage. God's ways are good. And these Ten Commandments are boundaries for blessing. And we are rooted in grace. We don't seek the Lord's approval by walking in light of them. But we walk in light of them because of his approval. And we will be a blessing as we seek to speak honestly. Just want us to close by... Um, I hope you can read this. Perhaps you need a really long sight. Um, two verses from Philippians 4 that I think kind of sums up the heart of some of this teaching. So if you can see it, I'd be grateful if you could read it with me. Paul exhorts the people in Philippi, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen.